calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello and welcome to Vulgar History. My name is Ann Foster and this is a, it's a pandemic special. I'm, I'm still brainstorming what cute name I'm going to give it. It could be a podemic. It could be uh, plague stories. It could be, I don't know, quarantine, pod, podentine. Anyway, I just am recording my regular episode. I thought I would do a special episode with just a little shorter story to... Because lots of content creators are putting stuff out and I really appreciate it. And I thought people who listen to my podcast might also appreciate it. And also I just like really want to share this story because it keeps going through my head. Um, So content warning, I'm going to be telling you a story about the Black Plague and everyone in the story dies. So if you're not in the mood for a story about literally everyone dying of a horrible disease, perhaps tune into a different episode of this podcast or just wait for for Wednesday when the next episode of this podcast comes out. Anyway, I don't think there's any plague content in that. I don't think there is. But this one is just all plague content because it's a pandemic special, um, cute name to be determined. And what we're talking about today is Joan of England. So she, and again, just like, she's gonna die. Everyone's gonna die of plague. You've just like, Keep that in mind. So, um, and the sources for this, because I'm just sort of whipping this up together without doing... Um, usually I like to look at all kinds of different sources and put them together and make like maybe a little script for myself. Um, but I'm just sort of going to going directly from a couple sources. So the first one is uh, thehistoryofroyalwomen.com. I'm also looking at some writing from rebeccastarbrown.com, uh, thecreativehistorian.co.uk. And also from a little website called Wikipedia. So there's pretty much a consensus on how much information all of these sites have about her because there's not much known about her. But um, hopefully we can get a good picture by going, bopping around between these different things. So here's the situation. So Joan of England. So she was born in either 1333 or 1334. And she was a daughter of King Edward III and his wife, Philippa of Hainaut. Hainaut. Um, she was French. So Edward III 
was a descendant. So this is the house of Plantagenet, which started with Empress Matilda's husband, Geoffrey, who we talked about last time. So so Joan herself, um, her father, Edward, they are descendants of Matilda, Empress Matilda, because it was her son, Henry, became the king. And then there's just like a whole bunch of Henrys and Edwards. And then we're on Edward III. So she's she's descended from Empress Matilda in that way. Uh, she was also known as Joanna. We're going to be looking at another Joanna later in another episode of this podcast. People's names were very flexible. Like they sort of wrote them with sort of just deciding on the spur of the moment, I guess, what vowels they're going to put where. But we're going to call her Joan, even though maybe people called her Joanna. So her early life. Um, let me just see. This is like you know, it's it's pandemic times. I feel like everyone, myself, I'm hopeful other people are just a little bit more forgiving of seeing the seams going on behind the scenes of what people are up to. I feel like everyone's being sort of more, especially sort of honest um, by everyone. I mean, the people who I follow on social media and that sort of thing, um, just sort of less artifice. People are just kind of kind of warts and all. We're all just kind of being out here. Anyway, so... Um, this first part is from RebeccaStarBrown.com. So Joan of England was born perhaps December 1333, perhaps January 1334. You know, we've been over this. People didn't really write down when people were born. Back then, they had other things to worry about. So she was the second daughter and the third child of Edward III and his wife, Philippa of Haino. So she was Princess, Princess Joan, which I think is a really cool name. Some royal baby somewhere should be called Joan. I think the name Joan should just make a comeback in general. Anyway, so by the time she was born, so she was the third child, second daughter. She had an older brother who was Prince Edward, and she also had an older sister called Isabel. And a bunch of dramatic stuff happened before all of this happened that we're going to talk about on some other podcast episode, I promise. But effectively, Joan's grandmother, Isabel of France, um, sort of kicked her. So Isabel of France was a super badass, amazing woman who I was going to do a podcast about this in, but I just haven't had time to research it properly because of pandemic reasons. So what happened? Isabel of France was married to Edward II, I think. Um, Edward II was not a great king and Isabel and her lover, Roger Mortimer, kind of stormed into England, took over and made her son the king. Isabel of France's son, was Edward III, and that is the father of Joan of England. But that all happened in the past. By the time Joan is born, things are like pretty kind of consistent. Edward III's been king for a while. Uh, So a few weeks after Joan's birth, Queen Philippa, which again, amazing name, Philippa, uh, traveled with her three children, uh, so Joan, to York to accompany the king during an ongoing military campaign in Berwick. With her husband preoccupied with the Scots, Philippa spent the next several months traveling through the north, acquainting herself with the towns and villages she had hitherto not seen much of. It's likely that the children accompanied her on some of these journeys. Again, I'm reading from RebeccaStarBrown.com. I am not cool enough to use a word like hitherto in a thing that I wrote. So, indeed, RebeccaStarBrown.com can War, or rather finding one's life around a war, became a fixture of Joan's life. In October 1337, her father declared war on France, thus beginning the Hundred Years' War between the two countries. The Hundred Years' War, that's the one that um, Joan of Arc becomes. Allied with the Low Countries, Edward took this as an opportunity to betroth Joan to Frederick, Friedrich, the eldest son and heir to Duke Otho of Austria, the following summer. So Joan 
at this point aged like three, um, Joan, three-year-old Joan, traveled with her parents to Antwerp, decked out in finery with an agenda to impress the hosts. This trip, however, was perhaps most memorable for a kitchen fire breaking out in Flanders, forcing the royal family to move to a nearby abbey for shelter. It was here where Philippa gave birth to another child, Prince Lionel, the future Duke of Clarence, and soon after the Queen bid a formal goodbye to her four-year-old daughter. So, peace out. Just like, Joan, you're four, you're going to just be in Antwerp now, you're going to marry this guy, that's your life. So Joan, four years old, uh, traveled with her governess um, and someone called Lord John de Montgomery to Austria, where she was established at her father-in-law's court to be educated because she's four and she there's a lot of educating to do. Ostensibly, care of Joan was overseen was to be overseen by her mother's sister, Margaret of Haino, the Holy Roman Empress, but her aunt proved to be a negligent guardian. Joan's wardrobe, upkeep, and even food were often sorely lacking, and Philippa became concerned enough that she forced Edward to withdraw her, like to remove her. Um, so not cool, Aunt Margaret. Politically, this worked because Duke Otho died shortly after Joan's arrival, and power transferred to his brother, whose sympathies lay with the French. So, as such. Joan, so let me just see, so now age six, uh, she left Austria, age six, and was returned to her mother. So rejoined with her family, she also had the opportunity to meet her new brother, John of Gaunt, who is like, John of Gaunt is patient zero, not in like a plague way, but in like a the history of England way. I made um, a giant family tree on a bulletin board a couple months ago. Maybe I'll put a picture of it somewhere in the show notes for this podcast episode anyway john of gaunt is where where that begins it's my murder board of british history to try and straighten out for myself who fits in where and who is the father of who because all the especially the men's names are just like the same name over and over again and in some historical sources they're always just referred to as like clarence or gloucester even though that's like what they were duke of that's not their name anyway i refer to that murder board it just sits in my living room and it's uh when I was watching The Hollow Crown, the recent-ish, within the last 10 years, recent-ish British um, TV miniseries version of some of Shakespeare's history plays, I kept like kind of referring back to that, to this bulletin board I made up to see who is who. But anyway, it starts with John of Gaunt, so he's a majorly important person. And in fact, it was from making that family tree that I first learned about Joan of England. So here we go. So Joan, age six. Um, she returned back to England and she was set up in a sep- oh and John of Gaunt so her little that's her new little baby brother she just met so she returned to England and was set up in a separate household with her sister her older sister Isabel staffed with a lady in waiting maids a valet and a minstrel personal minstrel it was to here that the queen sent elaborate gifts like robes trimmed in fur silk stockings and fine dresses for the occasions at which they were seen by the rest of court the girls who became quite close shared a bedroom um, hung in silk and velvet based on household accounts it can be discerned that joan took a liking to needlework and her mother also often sent through thread for her to practice on the girls would eventually be joined by two more sisters mary and margaret a few years later so the family's just getting bigger and bigger and then uh it's time to prepare for joan's second betrothal and here i'm switching over to read from creativehistorian.co.uk uh so her second wedding was arranged with the castilians so castile 
who we're going to learn about them a bit later on. But that's one of the kingdoms that would eventually sort of merge together with other ones to become Spain. So the Castilians were allied with the French, and their ships were a perpetual problem for English merchant ships, which were frequently attacked. A merge between a Castilian prince and an English princess would hopefully pacify the Spanish, if not lead to a proper alliance. It wasn't the first time there was a wedding between the two kingdoms. Joan's great-grandmother was Eleanor of Castile, but it was the last such wedding for over a hundred years between England and a Spanish kingdom. And you know what happened a hundred years later, which was the marriage of Catherine of Aragon, daughter of Isabella of Castile, to King Henry VIII. So this is her new situation. This is who she's now going to be married to. So in the summer of 1348, so she is what now? She's about 15 years old. She departed England with a heavily armed retinue. So now I'm switching over to read from historyofroyalwomen.com. The fleet consisted, so this, her fleet, it's like major. So the fleet consisted of four English ships, which departed from Portsmouth and arrived in Bordeaux. The company settled into a castle. Joan traveled with a portable chapel, so she would not have to use the local churches. Her trousseau consisted of... 150 meters of fabric for her wedding dress, a suit of red velvet, two sets of 24 buttons made of silver gilt and enamel, which is like just traveling with your silver button, Uh, five corsets with gold patterns of stars, crescents, and diamonds, and two elaborate dresses, beds, bed curtains, ceremonial garments, and different sets of clothes for riding and daily wear. So like her entire life was there with her. Um, and then I switch over. I'm trying to like give equal weight to all these. So when she went over, um, this is from Wikipedia. So her companions, so her entourage included three leading officials, uh, Robert Bouchier, the former Royal Chancellor, Andrew Ulford, a diplomatic lawyer, and the Cathedral Priest of Bordeaux, Gerald de Podio, who is to see to the princess's spiritual needs. Joan also brought along her minstrel, her Castilian minstrel, Gracias de Guyville, who had been dispatched to England by Prince Pedro in order to entertain her with music and songs of the land of which she was to be queen. That's so sweet. Um, Prince Pedro, presumably, is the person... Yeah, so Peter of Castile is the person that she was going to marry, a.k.a. Pedro. So he was the... That's so nice he sent a minstrel for her. It's like sending her like a mixtape. So Joan was escorted by over 100 formidable English bowmen, like bow and arrow men um you see oh so her portable chapel as per wikipedia says it featured a couch decorated with fighting dragons and a border of vines powdered with gold byzantine coins while the altar cloth was decorated with dragons and serpents this is just like everything 15 years old okay um let me see a lot about the fabric that she had with her i guess people just wrote that all in in some sort of like inventory situation but here's where it all gets awful because this is a plague story. So what happened? Um, there's a good description of it. So the first stage of the journey, she went over to France. At the time she left the plague, this is from Creative Historian. At the time she left England, the plague hadn't reached England. Like England, so stories of it were becoming known. But the plague, a disease we've all probably heard of, the symptoms of which I should probably look up, but I haven't, but I will. Um, so people didn't know about it then. I'm going to look up because I think it's not, as we're faced with now, a respiratory virus. The plague was like, so the bubonic plague, um, aka the Black Death, also known as the pestilence, um, the Great Plague or the plague, sometimes known as the Great Mortality or the Black Plague, 
Um, this is again just Wikipedia. God bless. Um, so I just want to look up what the um, symptoms are, so we can imagine that if you're listening to this, like I've given you the content warning. Like if you're listening to it, then like here comes. So the plague. Oh God, Ugh, there's pictures. Um, so the most commonly noted symptom was the appearance of buboes. So that's what's called bubonic plague, which in the groin, the neck and armpits, which oozed pus and bled when opened. So it's gross. Okay, that's all we need to know. It's gross. Um, it's gross. Your body gets pustules and you die horribly. That's all we need to know, right? Okay, so the plague had not been in England yet. So she's just like, cool, okay, I'm just going from England through France to Castile. That's what's going on. So, but as her ships with her hundred bowmen, her like portable chapel, etc., as they arrived at Bordeaux, they were told not to come on land because the town of Bordeaux was in the grip of the plague and it wasn't safe for the English retinue to be there. They were like, mm, whatever, we're God's chosen people, etc. And so the party, they ignored the warnings, uh, moved to the castle in the town. And that's just like, this is the point at which I feel like this would be a really good horror movie. Sort of like The Lighthouse or The Witch, where it's like really historically like it feels really historically accurate and it's just this sort of like suspense of like oh god what's gonna go on so they moved to the castle in the town of bordeaux a town that was like beset with this horrific plague and weeks later members of the group started to fall ill so um so as soon as the members of the entourage began to fall ill in this like gruesome bubonic plague way uh joan was probably moved to a smaller village to so they're like oh you know they didn't People didn't, there wasn't germ theory. People didn't know about washing hands at this point, but I think you just kind of know, like, if you're surrounded by people who are sick, it's like, let's not be here right now. So she and other people from the entourage were moved to a smaller village. Oh, here's um, a little bit more backstory about bubonic plague. So while we're in suspense, Joan moved to a smaller village to try and not die. So the plague reached England in the late spring of 1348, and that was the... That was the same year that she was traveling. But anyway, um, so people started hearing about it, but it wasn't like widespread. So at like literally the same time she was traveling. So it had moved sort of west through the traditional trading routes, making its way to England, which is kind of the furthest west. The English government went into crisis mode. The military campaign in France was paused and strict measures to contain the disease were implemented. Even so, the European population um, after this, including the English, was decimated. Um... So this is this is just like the beginning of this horrible thing happened. So okay, so Joan fled. They fled towards Castile, which is where her husband Pedro, who sent her the minstrel, was. So they fled there to a smaller town. Um, but the disease caught up with them quickly. So let me just see where the best sort of yeah. So as per Wikipedia, soon they watched in horror as members of the entourage began falling sick and dying. Robert Boucher, the leader of the retinue, died on August 20th. Um, so Joan feared for her life, and she moved to a small village called Loremo, where she remained for, quote, some time. However, she could not escape the disease and became its first victim in the camp, suffering a violent and quick attack and dying on July 1st, 1348. So this is a letter. Um, Rebecca Starr Brown has it quoted i'm gonna kind of skim through it just for podcast reasons so this is a letter sent by so edward her father her poor father wrote to king alfonso the father of pedro so they were gonna be fathers-in-law and now they're not recently died 
So he wrote, We are sure the Dear Magnificence knows how, after much contracted negotiation about the intended marriage of the renowned Prince Pedro, your eldest son, and our most beloved daughter Joan, which was designed to nurture perpetual peace and to create an indissoluble union between our royal houses, we sent our said daughter to Bordeaux en route for your territories in Spain. But see, with what intense bitterness of heart we have to tell you this, destructive death, who seizes young and old alike, sparing no one and reducing rich and poor to the same level, has lamentably snatched from both of us our dearest daughter, whom we love best of all as her virtues demanded. No fellow human being could be surprised if we were inwardly desolated by the sting of this bitter grief, for we are humans too. But we, who have placed our trust in God and our life between his hands, where he has held it closely through many great dangers, we give thanks to him that one of our own family, free of all stain, whom we have loved with our life, has been sent ahead to heaven to reign among the choirs of virgins, where she can gladly intercede for our offenses before God. So, mystery still surrounds the fate of her remains. Um, so no one quite knows what happened to her because the whole, I, I don't know a lot about plague history, but I'm going to guess people maybe don't want a plague body to be sent um, back there because maybe they would, even if you don't know about germs, you're like, this might bring some bad um, luck to us all. So in October... So she died. And then in October, the grieving Edward III paid for Joan's body to be recovered, but there is no record of it being returned to England. Instead, there are differing accounts of her burial in Bayonne and of her actually dying in Bordeaux, with the mayor setting fire to the Plantagenet castle where Joan's body lay. So regardless of where her remains ended up, if anywhere, her statue did make its way into Westminster Abbey near her father's tomb. And that's kind of the only... um, publicly available image we have of her which is statue let me just see if there's any more details i can give you so yeah so that no tomb has been found suggesting that if she was indeed buried in a church near the place of her death it would have been the kind of anonymous grave that many plague victims were given like there's that many people dying you'd bury them all together um let me just see so one of the people from her entourage andrew ulford the diplomatic lawyer was not affected by the plague so he was immune magically so he traveled he's the one who traveled to england to inform the king of his daughter's death and everyone was shocked uh, not only was she one of the earliest english victims of the epidemic which by then had begun attacking england but her death also seemed to prove that even royalty would not be spared and this was a sort of situation where people were sort of like but we're rich which means we're good and better and so nothing bad can ever happen to us and that um i think in some other plague mini episodes we're gonna look at that as well because um there's other royals in histories who were like well we're we're royals we can't ever die of plague but as we all know especially right now um anyone is susceptible to anything because we're all just fragile little human bodies so um so there's a bit more detail here on wikipedia about trying to reclaim her body so edward the third tried to retrieve her body to return return it for burial the leader of this expedition and i mean brave of them to go back over into like plague lands although i guess everywhere is plague lands at this point but it feels like going into like the thing like that arctic place where it's like okay here's a place where like everyone died so the leader of this group was uh the bishop of carlisle oh who was overpaid by the king because of the high risk involved so that's good he got some hazard pay it is unknown what happened next Again, there's no record of Joan's remains being returned to England or any account of a funeral of any kind. Um, Oh, here's some more details. So according to medievalist Norman Cantor, 
in his book, The Last Night, The Twilight of the Middle Ages and the Birth of the Modern Era. So Norman Cantor theorizes that Joan died in Bordeaux, where the mayor, in an effort to stop the plague, set fire to the port. Um, so just everywhere that anyone had ever been, burning the Plantagenet castle there as well. So her body was inside the castle and could not recovered. And that is the story of Joan of England. We're not going to give her a score because it's not that kind of episode. Um, but but that's that's just a mini episode, a story of pandemic and plague. And what I find so fascinating about this story that why once everyone or most people have been um, going into uh, social distancing and or isolation and or quarantine. Like just when this started happening in the world, I was just like, oh, who was that person who like I just remembered from when I was putting together the my family tree of the British royal family, I remembered coming across somebody. So the thing with my family tree that I made is it's not the size of a wall of a house. It's um, modestly sized. So I couldn't put everybody on. So I wound up only having to having space to keep on people who were the parents of someone who were the parents of someone who became important later. And so Joan never had any children, never got married. Um, so her story was really interesting, but there wasn't really on this murder board, but I think her story is worth remembering. And I also think it would make a really great horror movie. Um, if someone out there is a movie, get on that. So I'm going to, I think, record some more of these little mini podcast episodes. If it's something you want to listen to, awesome. If it's not, like, skip these episodes, that's fine. Um, You, in real time, just heard me unable to even read the Wikipedia description of what bubonic plague is like. So I understand very well. Not everybody wants to listen to everything all the time. But for me, I find some sort of not comfort, but just like commiseration knowing that like humanity has been through this sort of thing before and the world continues on and tragedy can happen and do happen and are happening. And it's all just kind of, I don't know. So just feeling like we're part of a larger thing, like all of the, in this way, we're also vulnerable in these very huge ways. So anyway, um, my name is Ann Foster. And this is a vulgar history, pandemic, special, plague story, mini episode. Um, Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay indoors. And there'll be a regular episode come on Wednesday that I think I'm going to do my best to promise you that it'll be totally plague-free content if that's not something you want to listen to. But if it is, I'm going to also be doing some more of these episodes. So uh, stay safe, um, be well, and I'll talk to you next time. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.